Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Good morning, Covenant. How are we doing this morning? Everybody good? No, I am not Chris Eads. I'm the other Chris. Just to make things clear, I know we advertise Chris Eads. Chris will be with us in a couple weeks. He had some things come up um, at his church and needed to be there this morning, so he asked a couple weeks ago if I could come and fill in, uh, take, and we could switch. So Chris will be preaching on September in September, Labor Day weekend, so you'll want, not want to miss that. Let me kind of pre-introduce next week for you, uh, my friend Richard Pope, our youth's friend Richard Pope, will be speaking next week. Uh, Richard is pastor of Canvas Church in Salisbury, Maryland. <clears throat> I, I tell people this all the time about Richard. The day he first met with his core group to start Canvas Church was the day he found out he had terminal cancer. And if I told you that was just a very small tip of the iceberg of his story of his life, I am not lying. You'll want to be here to hear Richard Pope. His heart for Jesus is incredible. His love and passion for him is incredible for a man who's gone through so much in his life. You will not want to miss, miss next week, Richard Pope. I, I, Bob Roberts, you won't want to miss him in a couple weeks. Bob, we've had Bob here before, but I, I'm looking forward to next week personally. Because I, every time I hear Richard Pope speak, I get encouraged greatly. So you want to meet, you want to see him next week on the 13th. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4 from where Jimmy read this morning, the scripture passage, that's where we're going to camp out. And this morning, I kind of want to answer a question, hopefully answer a question in your minds and our minds as a, as a church is, what is worship? You ever ask that, yourself that question? We just got through singing songs. We got through praising Jesus with our, our mouths. But what is worship? Because that's a fundamental aspect of who we are as followers of Christ. Actually, that's a fundamental aspect of who we are as human beings. If I were to tell you that God created humans as a whole to worship, you could see that in the world and the culture that we live in right now. In many different ways, in many different aspects, through what we watch, what we cling on to, the sports teams we cheer for and how hard we cheer for them, to the type of cars people drive and how much they love those things or the homes that they have or the beach houses or whatever they have that they want to worship to their kids. People worship a lot of different things these days. In fact... Uh, let me give you a quote from someone that's kind of a weird quote to give you for, a quote from. Russell Brand. I won't recommend any of Russell Brand's movies. Okay? Just, just give you that right now. But, the, but if, you've, if you've listened to Russell Brand over the past couple months, he's kind of, it seems like he's going on some kind of spiritual journey that's leading him, hopefully my prayer is leading him to Christ. He said this recently. When it says in the Old Testament, worship no other gods than me, the implication is that we are species that worships. And if you do not access the divine, you will worship the profane. You will worship your own identity. You will worship your belongings. You will worship 
the template laid before you by culture that wants, to, wants you relatively dumb. <laughs> I tell you what, I read that quote getting ready for the sermon. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I don't have to preach anymore. <laughs> the implications that, you wor- that we are worship, a species that worship, and if you do not access the divine, you will worship the profane. That's pretty powerful right there, that little sentence right there. And that is true. Um, Like I said, I don't know where Russell Brand is on his spiritual journey. I hope he's headed towards Jesus. It sounds like he may be because he's got all the indications in that quote of what it really truly means to worship. John Calvin said this about the human heart. The human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. Pascal spoke of the God-shaped hole in the human heart that people try to fill with stuff that ultimately can only be filled by God through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me give you a definition of worship. Simple one. Honor given to a superior being, the feeling or expression of reverence and uh, adoration. The The word worship we have and we use in our English language comes from an old English word, that literally means to give worth or value to. The Greek word used in John 4 here literally means to kiss towards, to bow down before, to prostrate oneself before. That's a pretty powerful one as well when you think about it. Worship is giving for us as followers of Christ is giving God his due, his honor, For what? For what he's done. Why should we praise him? As a follower of Christ, why should we praise God? You can go back to the simplest, most memorized verse of Scripture in all of Scripture. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. We can praise God for that one thing right there alone. And out of that flows so much more. The psalmist said in Psalm 45, 1, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. He's a ready to extol the greatness of his king. In Romans chapter 11, Paul writes this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Worship. Did y'all worship this morning? You feel like it worship, like that something happened in here that, that brought worship? I hope so. But I want you to understand that worship is so much more than what we do on Sunday morning. It's what we do here on Sunday morning is important. A vital aspect of our worship as, as followers of Christ is to gather together with fellow believers and come together and worship and sing and praise and hear God's word taught and worshiping him. But that's not all. 
Worshiping is so much more than you just driving down the road, listening to your favorite worship song and singing and praising God. It's that plus a whole lot more. Because if you're like me, sometimes worship on Sunday morning is kind of crazy. If you had family with kids, some of y'all are like, hurry up, let's go, we got to go worship. And worship is so much more than that. And we, there's some things that we should do as followers of Christ to help us be ready to worship God. So let's get into John chapter 4. And let me set the stage of John chapter 4. Of course, many of y'all might know the story of the Samaritan woman. Jesus is traveling from Judea back up to Galilee. The Pharisees are kind of after him. So he's going up and, and trying to get away from him. So he goes through Samaria, which is... Not the normal way Jews would go. If you know Samaria, Samaria is where the Samaritans live. The Samaritans are half-breeds. They're not fully Jewish. And the Jews, the fully Jews, do not consider them very friendly. They don't want to be around them. So that what they would do is that they would either go to the west or the east to go around Samaria to avoid going through the, the country, the, the province of Samaria where the Samaritans live. Jesus, for whatever reason, decides to go through Samaria. He stops off at a water well, tells his disciples to go in and get town and get some food. They leave. He's sitting there by himself, and a woman comes out in the heat of the day when normally people would not be coming out to get water, and she's getting water. Jesus has a conversation with her. For her, probably not a very pleasant one, which is why we have this, I think we have these verses here is, the Samaritan woman's kind of trying to distract Jesus from what they had been talking about, her life and her husband's, multiple husbands, and the one she was living with at that time was not her husband. And I think this is a distraction that the Samaritan woman tries to distract Jesus away from this. And he, she asked him the question is about about whether it is right we worship on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. This mountain refers to Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is in the province of, of Samaria, Samaria. It's a mountain, I guess. It's 2,800 feet high. It's a small mountain. I live in Colorado. Anything over, nothing over like five, 6,000 feet is, a, is really a mountain to me. Okay. I used to live, my office used to look out on a, a peak that was 13,800 feet. My office window did when I pastored in Colorado. So a mountain has is, is got to be a mountain. Just kidding. I love the mountains. In, in, you know, hey, I'll give you this. From, there's more change in elevation from the Mississippi River to the East Coast than there is across the Rocky Mountains. If you want to know the truth. So here we go. Um... So the Gerizim, actually the Mount Gerizim when the Samaritans worshipped, had been the temple there had been destroyed some 100 years before this encounter with the Samaritan woman Jesus is having. So they didn't even worship on Mount Gerizim anymore. Not in a temple anyway. And she asked this question, this curious question. Our fathers worship on the mountain, but you say we should worship Jerusalem is the place we ought to worship. And she leads into that, and Jesus starts and changes our perspective of what worship is. 
What are some foundational truths we can glean from this this encounter with the Samaritan woman that Jesus had? The first foundational truth I think we can glean is God is the source of my worship. Where does the source of worship originate? Jesus answered the question when he said, but the hour is coming in. Now is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. People are worshipers of God because God seeks them. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Matthew 22, Jesus is asked the name of the greatest commandment, and what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with every fabric of your being, he says. He breaks down the law of the Old Testament into that, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you love God with everything you have, that is true worship. When you love God with everything that you are, that is true worship. But the fact of the matter is God has got to be the source of your worship. The core of what you are as a follower of Christ is God being the source of our worship. We worship because of what he's done for us. We worship because of who he is. We worship because he is the great God. He loves us and he cares for us, and that is our source of worship. That's where we get our source of it. Second foundational truth is God is the object of my worship. He's not only the source, but he's the object. We are to worship him. Paul describes the God as the spirit, or God, and, and says in Athens, in Acts chapter 17, he's, he's talking to them. They have all these gods lined up in statues, and they have one statue that's to the God of, or, or the unknown God. And he says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. To properly worship God, he has to be the object of our worship. So we sing songs to him. We sing songs about him. Our songs are the, fo- he is the focus of what we should sing. He is the focus of who we are. To properly worship God, giving praise and honor to him for his invisible attributes, such as his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, immutability. Y'all can go look these up later. His eternity, his love, his kindness, his justice, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his righteousness, even his wrath and his holiness. We are to worship him. He should be the object. We are to extol the greatness of who God is and what he has done. Third thing that we get from this passage in John, I must worship God in spirit and in truth. These two truths are very important. Let's, let's deal with the aspect of the latter one of the spirit. Must wor- worship God into the spirit. The idea of worshiping God in spirit is that we are not able to conceive visually a representation in material things of who God is. He's spirit. He's not, we're not able to conceive who he is. We get glimpses of who he is, but we're not able to see him. He is spirit. 
Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So to worship God in spirit is most of all means that we are spiritually alive. To be spiritually alive means someone has been received a new birth. That means that someone has come to Christ as their Lord and Savior, and to be spiritually alive is that means that we have now been saved by faith through grace in Jesus, in, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and we now have a new life. We have a new birth, and now we are in the Spirit. And if we are in the Spirit, then guess what happens? We can worship God. Truly, we don't worship God until we are a follower of him. Y'all realize that, right? Unbelievers don't truly worship God because they've not been born in the spirit. They're not his children yet. We have to be alive. Secondly is my heart must be focused on God. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. We must be focused on God. When we come to worship, I know, we get distracted. So-and-so walks in late, and this person's making this. This kid over here is crying. Guess what? Good. I know it's hard sometimes when kids get to crying. Parents get freaked out. I'd rather have kids crying than none crying. But the thing about it is, is we get distracted in worship. Phone goes off. What's going on? When we worship God in spirit... We must be focused on God. To take that time to focus on him and who he is and what he does, we must have our focus put on him. How many of you go out on a date with your girlfriend or your wife and the whole time you spend on your phone? It's not very nice, is it? You know, unless, you know, like my wife and I, we're usually syncing up calendars, so we're both looking at our phone trying to figure out what's going on next in our lives. But you want the focus. The focus should be on you. The focus should be on, for you should be on them. And so the focus should be on each other and, and not something else, the distractions. God wants you when you worship him to focus on him because you love him. You love what he's done for you. You care about him. He cares about you. Your focus should be on God when you worship My heart must be undivided. Psalm 86, 11 and 12 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to you. Fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Or Psalm 66, 16, 19 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and his high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would have not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Our focus not only needs to be on God, but our heart needs to be undivided. We can't be split in two. We have to have our hearts set on what God, who God is and what he's done in our lives. We have to seek to focus on worshiping him completely undivided. 
Final thing is I must be spirit-controlled. Worshiping God in spirit and truth has less to do about where we worship and more about how we relate to God himself and his teaching about who he is and who Jesus is that touches our whole life. Now, I started out talking about this. You know, we gathered this morning. I asked you if you worshiped. You said yes. And I said, that's great. Worship here is important. It's an important aspect of the life of the believer. But the fact of the matter is, is if we're truly worshiping God in spirit and truth, you know what our life should be? A constant act of worship. So when you're in your car driving down the road and that person cuts you off, your life is a constant act of worship. Dang, I hate that one. I want to yell and scream and get mad at him. When your coworker messes up something that you've worked a long time on, your life is a constant act of worship. When you don't get the grade on the test that you thought you should have gotten. And it sends you into a tailspin. Your your life is a constant act of worship. When your kids are unruly and not acting the way you want them to, your life is a constant act of worship. What we do here on Sunday morning is important, but what you do... The rest of the week is important when you are worshiping God. And that's the hard part, right? We get into life, we get going in our lives, and things get busy, and things get crazy, and we get upset, and we get angry, we get frustrated, we get mad, we, we get stressed out, and we forget that our life should be a constant act of worship. And if we actually would do that, maybe those things around us would become less important and less stressful. And we would react to things differently than we do. Because when our life is a constant act of worship, the perspective on life changes. And our perspective is more about God and less about us and our circumstances and more about God and who he is and what he can do in the middle of our circumstances. Our lives are an act of worship. And we must be spirit-controlled in every aspect of who we are. We worship God because he has changed our lives through Jesus Christ. And every day is an act of worship. And every day is an opportunity to worship. Give me a, give you a challenge. For the next 21 days, take five minutes out of your morning. Read a passage of scripture. Sing a praise to God. And start your day with that. Simple, right? Five minutes. You got a lot of time in the day. You're like, oh, Chris, I get it. Five minutes is all I'm asking for. 
See how it might change the way you focus on life at that point. Do it till the end of August. Take five minutes. How does that act of worship in the morning to start off your day to get you going and spending your time with God in his word, a little bit of time in his word, a little bit of time of worshiping him through a little song, a little bit of time praying to him and asking him to guide you through the day and see how that might change your focus and your mindset about things that are going on in the world around you. Because it'll change, hopefully my hope is, my prayer is it'll change your perspective a little bit. So now the focus is less on you and what's going on around you and more on God and what's going on with him and what he's doing around you. Five minutes. Not asking a lot. Simple task. If you want to come up to me in 21 days and tell me what the results were, you can come up and tell me I, I didn't see anything. Eh, I doubt that. final thing we have to do is prepare our hearts to worship. A friend of mine says this often. He'll put it on Facebook on Saturday night. Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. And the fact of the matter, in some ways that is right because Hopefully you just don't come into this service to worship with other believers and it just be like, hey, I'm just going through the motions. I'm just doing it because I've always done it, because my parents made me do it, or because I'm doing it, because I just, you know, whatever. Hopefully you're, you're coming in here this morning to worship and truly worship. Hebrews 10, 22 says, let's draw near with a heart, a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the ev- an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Cleanse ourselves to worship. So Hebrews gives us a kind of a way to look at worship, right? First of all, am I, ask some questions. Am I sincere? Am I coming in faith? Am I humble? Am I pure? What am I doing to prepare myself to worship? Maybe that's what you need to do every day. Take that time. And say, Lord, am I sincere for you today? I want to be sincere for you today. What did Jesus tell us how to be sincere for him? Tape up your cross daily and follow me. Not when you feel like it. So every morning, you put your pants on, grab a cross. Metaphorically cross. And follow him for that day. The next morning, put your pants on, take up your cross. Be sincere about it. Be in faith, coming in faith that God's going to take care of you and he's going to guide you. He's going to help you. You can trust him. You're going to be humble. And you're going to be pure. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it, as a follower of Christ? We often just rush into things as in our culture and it's all about busy and fast and quick and grab and go and many times in the christian life it's about to it's about slow down and wait 
and we don't like that. We don't like to slow down and wait because it gets in our way of getting things done. We want things quick. We want, hey, if the line's too long at one drive-thru, we'll may jump out of that line and go to the next one down the street so we can get out quicker and get our food and go on. We want it so fast and quick. And Jesus and God is looking back at looking at us and going, hey, sometimes you got to slow down and wait. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 6. If, you were gonna, if I'm going to talk about worship, I've got to go to Isaiah 6 at some point in time. We can't talk about worship and not grab this passage. Starting in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6. It's going to be on the screen, hopefully, but, but here it is. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Y'all understand in Hebrew, when a word is repeated more than once, it's like us in English putting very. So when they say holy, 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 it's like us saying very holy. Okay? Just get that out of the way. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand in a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this is, has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Okay, this is a pretty spectacular vision if you can grab a hold of it a little bit. It's hard, you know, because it's talking about the seraphim with six wings and two they cover the feet, two cover the eyes, and two they flew. What? They're in the holy place where God is, where God dwells. Isaiah gets a glimpse, not of God, of the holy place. You realize he only heard the voice. He didn't ever say he saw God, but he was in the holy place. And in that holy place, the cherubim and the seraphim were flying around singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are worshiping God. They're singing his praises. And Isaiah gets a glimpse of it. And he gets a glimpse of the holiness of God in the holy place of God. And he realizes something is not right. He realizes that he is a sinner. 
he realizes that he is unclean and he really doesn't deserve to be in that place because God is so holy and worshiping here and the people, the, the angels and the cherubim and seraphim are worshiping God and he realizes I should not be here because I'm not clean. See, what happens when you get in the presence of the Lord, you realize who he is and you realize who you are. And when you get in the presence of the Lord, who you are is a lot less than who you think you are. And when you get in the presence of the Lord, who he is is a lot greater than you really think he is. And Isaiah is in the presence of the Lord and he realizes God is incredible and this is so incredible and I don't even deserve to be here because I am very unclean. And not only am I unclean, the people I hang out with is unclean. I shouldn't be here. I'm in the wrong place. You ever felt like that? You're in the wrong place? Isaiah's in the wrong place. And he realizes it and he cries out, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I... <laughs> Just my lips are unpure. Let's start there, kind of. And an angel comes down and cleanses him in a unique way. He takes tongs, pulls out a coal, puts it on his lips to purify, to, to purify his lips. A symbol of purification. We have been granted access to God as a follower of Jesus Christ, because of what Christ did on the cross, we have been granted access to God the same way Isaiah had access to God. And we can worship God because of who Jesus is. Not because of who we are or what we've done, because what we've done is nothing except for sin perpetually against God. And God purifies us through Jesus Christ and what his blood did for us on the cross washes away our sins and gives us new life and restores us to right relationship with God. Therefore, we can worship God the same way Isaiah did. And we can be in the Holy of Holies the way Isaiah was. We have been restored in our relationship to God. But when we worship God, if that's all it is, if it's just us realizing who we are and realizing who God is, realizing we've sinned and we need to be cleansed and singing some praises to him, that's not what worship is. And if you come into this place on Sunday morning and you hang out with other believers and sing songs and walk away and you have just, that's all you've done, that's not what worship is. What worship truly is, is when you come before a holy God who loves you and sent his son to die on the cross for you, and you walk away changed. If you don't walk away changed, worship hasn't occurred. If you walk away the same as you were when you walked in, nothing has changed, nothing has happened. Because here's what happens to Isaiah. He looks up and they, this, God says, who will go for us? Who shall we send? And Isaiah, compelled by the sight of his holy, this holy God in this holy place, goes, here am I, send me. He was changed by what happened to him. 
in the Holy of Holies, in the presence of God. If you come into the presence of God, you don't walk out the same as you walked in. When you come into the presence of God, you are not acting the same as you came in when you came into the presence of God. Something has got to change for true worship to happen. What is worship? I'll give you one word, change. Change of attitude, change of heart, change of mind, change of understanding of the world around you, change in what you want to do and how you want to do it. If you are truly worshiping God and if you truly worship God any Sunday morning, on Monday morning, on Tuesday morning, whenever you take time to worship him in your daily life, guess what? If you're not walking away changed, you haven't worshiped. And we can talk about worshiping God in spirit and truth and all that, but if you do all, if you do all those things, it'll help you come to the point where you get changed by worshiping God. But don't walk in here on Sunday mornings and think, oh, I worship God and nothing changes in your life. Because that's not what God is saying. That's not what his word says to us. Because if you walk in here and you're not changed on Sunday morning, your way you think, the way you act, the way you're going to treat people every, during the week, guess what? You truly haven't worshiped. It's not an overall change where all of a sudden you're grabbing everything. I, I'm going to change the way I talk. I'm going to change what I say. I'm going to change who I treat people. All, it's time change. God is forming us into what he wants us to be. A great sculptor looks at a rock and sees what needs to happen to make that rock into the sculpture he wants or she wants. And they start out taking away the big stuff, chipping away at the big pieces, knocking off the big things that need to be taken away. And they start out with a jackhammer, they start out with a big wedge, and they start out knocking thing, big chunks off of the rock and turn it in, and then all of a sudden they start smaller and smaller and smaller tools until sometimes they're down to just sandpaper filing down little pieces and rough edges. God's doing that to us, and when we truly worship him and we change, that's what he's doing to us every day. Now, if you're like me, for some reason, God's still got a jackhammer on me. I don't know why. Some of y'all, he's just working with a little bit of sandpaper, just fine-tuning the rough edges. Some of you, maybe a little bit bigger things, you know, a chisel here, a chisel there. But if you're truly worshiping God, you will be changed. Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Worship is part of renewing your mind. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love and your grace towards us. We thank you for that we can truly worship you. And Lord, as we try to worship you, Lord, just every day, help us to seek you the way you desire to be sought. In spirit and in truth. 
We thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have sent your son to die on the cross for us. Strengthen us, God. And then all we do, we bring glory to you. Lord, help us to be transformed every day. In your son's name, amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.